a Podcast One production. G'day, welcome to Be A Man. Gus Wallen here and I've got Dr. Happy with me. G'day, Doc, how are you? Oh, I'm very good. It's always great to be here. Now, this episode is all about women and uh, Tracy Spicer is going to be the lady we interview. She's a television, radio, newspaper and online journalist and, of course, been a massive part in the face of the Me Too campaign here in Australia. Um, but women such a massive part of our lives. We're both married men. We've both got daughters and, of course, our, our mums and aunties and colleagues. I love women. I think they're just amazing creatures and couldn't do without them. Just love them to death. Yeah. Yeah, look, I was lucky enough to uh, interview Tracy for a book I wrote a few years ago, and she's just super smart, um, very well spoken. And, and as you said, she's really hit on an important um, theme that we've seen, uh, unfortunately, over the last few years, um, some exposure of some, well, some really inappropriate and atrocious behaviours. And I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's well beyond time that us men uh, got our act together and um, learned how to behave more appropriately, more respectfully to women. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's, again, it's way overdue, but hopefully we can shed some light on on what men can do better, uh, talking to Tracy. Tracy, we are so thrilled to have you on the show. So you can just shed some light on the Me Too movement from a guy's perspective and also help us guys understand what behaviour is appropriate when it comes to women. G'day. Guys, thanks so much for getting me on. I'm absolutely thrilled to be talking about this because we need more men to be part of this conversation. This is brilliant. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. I know that, uh, well, obviously you, Tracy, and many other women have led the led the way with the, the hashtag Me Too, um, and that's been super important. Um, you know, if we're really going to come up with a solution of this, we all need to be involved. I mean, it's it's us men who have uh, behaved inappropriate a lot of the time. It's us who need to change our behaviours. So hopefully, you can shed the light and, and lead the way, and we can follow or or, um, you know, start to get our act together. Yeah, and it's also the old, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept concept. You know, we really need to give men the tools to be able to behave appropriately when they see someone sexually harassing a woman or when they hear about it or when one of their female colleagues comes up and says, look, this manager's been doing this to me. Can you please support me while I go and report this to senior management or to HR or even to talk to the police? Because you're right, this is a whole of society problem. The other interesting thing we've found with our investigation uh, into Me Too is that a lot of the men who are serial sexual harassers also bully other men in the workplace, men who might not perhaps be the alpha male. So if we can really rid our workplaces of this kind of behaviour, it's good for everyone. I think I want to come back to that a bit later, but maybe if we can go back to the beginning, um, when you first, uh, I think it's maybe a year or so ago, when you first sent out that original tweet asking people to come forward with any examples of sexual harassment. Um, can you take us back to that and, you know, what were you thinking and what, what kicked that off and, and what's happened since? A couple of things. When I wrote my book, The Good Girl Stripped Bear, I described some experiences of indecent assault as a young woman and, in fact, as a girl, and also sexual harassment and indecent assault in the workplace as a woman. And so many women came out of the woodwork and said that experienced the same kinds of things. Then when the Harvey Weinstein story broke in the States, I started feeling guilty that I'd worked in the media for 30 years. I'd known a lot of these serial sexual offenders within the industry who'd been enabled and protected by the workplace. And I thought, gosh, we have failed as journalists not telling stories about our own because of, you know, fear of their power, defamation laws in Australia. 
And that's why I sent out the initial tweet saying that I was investigating two men, so two that I'd known, you know, very closely were, were long-term offenders. And I've been absolutely inundated. To this point, I've received more than 1,600 disclosures from women, starting in the media and entertainment industry. Then there came politics, then it went to the health sector, and now I'm getting a lot of disclosures about retail and hospitality. So really, it affects all industries. When I hear some of these stories and, and read, read about what's going on, I, I'm fantastically grateful that I was brought up by a father and a mother who taught me to be respectful. And, and so I find it actually really hard to understand how people can behave like that. But obviously they do. But I guess as much as I support it, and I really do, I think this is so important, um, not just for me and you and everyone, but you know, as a father of two teenagers. But I suppose one question that's been raised is, where do we draw the line between appropriately calling these people out and putting people up to the court of public opinion, so naming someone um, before they've been properly found guilty? How do we find that balance? It's a really good question, and that's why I'm not doing some kind of medieval thing where I'm getting a list and I'm pinning it to the door and I'm saying, here are the offenders, you know. Mm. I'm not judged, judge and jury. That's why we're doing it. You know, under Australian law with robust investigations, as to the question, well, why don't women go to the police or go to lawyers or go to the Human Rights Commission, there are a couple of issues with our legislation and our culture that make it difficult for women to do this. One thing is with the Human Rights Commission, you have to go within six months of the offence. Now, a lot of women, when it's happening, they're like, oh, gosh, you know, maybe he's just a weird guy. I'll just try to stay away from him. And that goes on for six months. It goes on for a year. And then they talk to other women and, they, and other women say, oh, no, he did that to me as well. So often by the time women build the confidence to complain about it, the six months has passed and they can't report it. The other issue is if you speak to a lot of women who have gone to the police and have gone through the court process, some of them describe it as being sexually assaulted again for the simple fact that, you know, our police in the past, I think our police force is fantastic, but in the past they haven't been that great with offences like this. They've perhaps asked questions like, you know, did you bring it on yourself? Were you flirting with him? What what were you wearing? Were you at a Christmas party? How much did you have to drink? Which makes women feel even more, you know, ashamed. And women shouldn't feel ashamed, the ones who've survived sexual assault. Then they get to courts. And even though it's illegal, there's still a lot of people in the legal profession who, because they want to win the case, will bring up things like past sexual history. So it's, it's a very difficult situation. We've got to look at the structures that keep women silent and make women reticent to actually take that police and, and legal path. Tracy, how much of the sort of set of rules, if you like, changed over the years? Because I spoke to my father about this and he was in a position of power and so forth and he had like three secretaries and he said a certain they wanted to dress a certain way and he liked them to dress a certain way. And I look at my dad and say that he's a completely respectful um, person when it comes to ladies and the way that he treats my mum and so forth. Um, but it may look it may look now with a new set of rules and what we know now that he was someone that, you know, wanted ladies to, to wear a certain amount of, you know, makeup and wear high heels and that sort of stuff to sort of, you know, set, set his office up the way that he wanted to. Have the rules changed so much that you can't sort of have too much of a crack at blokes from 20, 30 years ago? Or what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, it's an interesting area to discuss because I guess it's not so much rules, but it's social mores that have changed over the decades. In the case of your father, if the women wanted to dress like that, that's perfectly fine. That's entirely acceptable. But if it was something that was expected, right. for example, I, I did when I was very young, I had a part-time job selling Chico rolls in pubs to Delicious. work my way through university, <laughs> right? Yum. And I, I had to wear a sash that said hot chick, C-H-I-K, you know, just fantastic pun going on right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I had to wear a really uncomfortably short skirt and high heels. And that meant I'd go into pubs as an 18-year-old woman and I would be really badly sexually harassed and I'd feel frightened because of the way I was forced to dress. So I think there's a difference between women choosing to dress whatever way they want and being forced to dress away in a workplace that might open them up to objectification. Tracy, if you've got someone that you're working with closely and you say something inappropriate and they say to you, look, I don't feel right about that, that made me feel uncomfortable, and you apologise and you say, I just sort of overstepped the mark, I'm sorry, and then that never happens again, is that sort of okay that you've sort of gone over the line, apologised, they've gone, okay, no problem? You know, at what stage and how long does that sort of last, if you like? Because you, you, you can have a situation, I assume, where the bloke can do what he thinks appropriate. It's not, I'm not talking touching here, I'm talking more sort of uh, verbal stuff. And then the person ends up getting vilified years down the track. It's a little bit of a murky one because blokes now don't quite know where the line is. Yeah, I just want to make this really clear that, you know, the aim of this movement is not to vilify one person who said one inappropriate thing yeah. 30 years mm -hmm. ago or even a whole bunch of men who said a lot of inappropriate things 30 years ago because that's judging things by standards 30 years ago, okay? Right. Yeah. So, you know, if you say something inappropriate in the workplace and a woman says, look, that's not appropriate and you learn from that and you stop saying that kind of stuff, yeah. that's what we're trying to achieve because a lot of people are saying, oh, yes, let's get rid of the sexual predators but, you know, a little bit of a sexist joke here and there is fine. It's actually like a pyramid. So if there's too many of these sexist attitudes and sexist jokes at the base of the pyramid, that supports other men who aren't good men, like most men, yep. to think, oh, okay, that means I can grope and grab. And that supports other men who aren't good men who mm. think, oh, that's okay, I can now sexually predate on my colleagues. So right. it's really a pyramid. So, if you know, if one bloke says something that's unacceptable and is pulled up on it, that's a good thing. It's a learning. Yeah, gotcha. You've just reminded me of a conversation I had with a with a, a friend, a male friend, not that long ago. When, when this in the last year or so since the Me Too movement has really picked up steam, and he he made an interesting point, which I hadn't quite thought of until he raised it, which was that we talked about you know how do men know what's appropriate, and I suppose in a lot of ways I've always thought it's pretty bloody obvious, but clearly it's not. And and what he said is that women's definition of appropriate can vary. So what one woman feels is appropriate behaviour, what right. she's willing to accept might be different to the next one. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, if the definition of appropriateness or reasonableness changes from woman to woman, how do we know what's right and wrong? Yeah, it's a really complex issue because we have different definitions of sexual harassment depending upon the state, the statutory authority mm -hmm. or the government. It's very confusing. And the overarching definition is whatever makes a woman feel uncomfortable. And like you say, that changes from woman to woman and it can be very subjective. I would say as an overarching rule, you know, usually when men are making a joke that 
makes a woman feel uncomfortable, they kind of has, have an uneasy feeling within themselves. You know how there's that kind of concept of locker room banter that men talk about together? Oh, don't say that around a woman. Well, then you know that that's okay if you can't say it around a woman. So, you know, I guess that's what I'd say for the, for the start. Second of all, you know, don't say anything to a woman or treat a woman in a certain way that you wouldn't say to a man or treat a man in a certain way. I'm not suggesting that we do the whole, you know, give girls trucks and give boys dolls and we can have no gender in society. Obviously, there are differences. But anything that's to do with sexualised language, that's to question a woman's intellect because of the way she looks, any comment on her appearance is not acceptable. And I know that sounds really picky, but having been as a woman who's worked in a workplace for 30 years and constantly been commented upon my appearance that affected how I felt about my self-esteem, you know, my intellect, I started to feel like some kind of dumb blonde because people would make jokes about my big boobs or what I was wearing or, you know, and that really damaged my intellect, my self-esteem and my confidence in the workplace. So I guess avoid comments about appearance, anything sexualized, and don't say something, you know, to a woman that you wouldn't say to a man, anything that belittles her or reduces her power. Tracy, I, it goes the other way for me because I'm a bigger guy. I'm 120 kilos. And as you said off air, you'd seen my Man Up program and you've seen the stuff that I've done and the areas that I'm working in at the moment. But I'm continually, through the grill team on Triple M, my breakfast show, I'm continually hammered for my weight. I'm continually hammered for being Hugh Jackman's best friend. I'm continually hammered for a whole lot of things. And I sort of, I, I've made a little pact with myself that... I've put myself out there, so I have to sort of cop it. And because it's done in a way that's sort of, you know, joking and it's sort of done in a breakfast radio FM sort of way that... But when it went to to Man Up and people were criticising me for the way that I looked in Man Up because they might have taken an angle which made me look chubby, I sort of had to sort of cop that because that's who I am. At what stage do you go, you know what, I am a certain thing and I've got to cop certain criticism because you're in the public eye and then where does it tip over to me getting really upset and wanting to, you know, change people's attitudes to me? There's two things there, Gus. You have asked for that yourself. That's part of your character, part of your brand. You're very candid. You've said, you know, I'm opening up a conversation for people to talk about how I look. And therefore, because you've opened the door, that's something that's acceptable to you and acceptable to the audience that you've built a connection with. Mm. More broadly in the workplace, this is where it's interesting to look historically, women have been judged more for their appearance than men have traditionally. Right. And that's something that still exists, particularly in the media and entertainment industry. We still see a lot of very attractive young women on television and much older men, and you don't see very many older women on television. So because of that, it's called the appearance deficit and the appearance benefit, the fact that women's currency decreases dramatically as they get older because we've traditionally been judged for our appearance. It's a really tricky thing to talk about women's appearance in the workplace. So that they're the two things I'd say about that. We've got to look at the lessons of history. Mm-hmm. And if I can pick up on that as well, I think that you in that particular context are unusual. Well, you're unusual in lots of ways, Gus, but I think <laughs> the, fact <that> you're, <laughs> the fact that your appearance was commented on as a male is uncommon, whereas for females it's very common. So yeah, sure. you're sort of a, a, an outlier in that regard. But also I wonder whether, as Tracy said, when people comment on a, on a woman's appearance, it also reflects, or, or they think it reflects on their intelligence on their competence, on their ability to be a professional. Has that happened to you? People said because you're overweight, you can't do your job as well as other people? No, they haven't. No, I just think that they probably think that I can't do it anyway, you know, because people like to always, you know, I, I feel like I put myself up, like Tracy said, as that guy that you can have a bit of a crack at with. You know, everyone's got a Gus 
group, you know, bloke in their group of friends that you sort of take the mickey out of, you mm-hmm. know. One other thing, Tracy, that I've been thinking, we've actually spoken quite a bit about what men shouldn't do. Um, but what I'm wondering is, based on your experience and your research, if we could try and maybe put a bit more of a positive spin on it, what can men do? What, what are some positive steps that we men can take to improve this uh, situation? I love that you've asked this. Every time I give a speech, there's usually about 10% men in the audience. And there's always a man who says, what can I do? I'm so excited that this conversation's happening in broader society now. The first thing I would say is believe women, okay? Now, that's not to say that 100% of women who disclose will end up getting to court and there will be someone convicted. But women don't go out there and tell these most intimate, these most Mm. scary, these most, you know, in their minds, shameful stories. A lot of women internalise the shame about being sexually harassed and indecently assaulted. Women don't easily tell these stories. So if a woman discloses to you, believe her and support her. It takes an awful lot for a woman to take the risk to tell these stories. The the second thing is ask your women in your lives, you know, your daughters, your wives, your mothers, your grandmothers, your female friends, your aunties, what can we do to help? Because we can't do this together. We'll end up in an echo chamber going, please, everyone change, in a society where a lot of men hold the positions of power in politics, in the churches, in the media, you know, in the workplace. So we need to get access to the ears of men in positions of power to suggest ways that things can change. You know, I I keep telling women, write a letter to your local MP and say, this is not good enough that women are routinely sexually harassed in society. And I think that men should really join that movement as well. So yeah, two things, believe women and ask the women around you, what can I do? The other thing is it's really helpful uh, if someone does come up to you in the workplace or, or in broader society and say, look, this happened to me, just say to the woman, can I, you know, accompany you to the police station because it's really hard going and reporting for the first time or can I come up to you when you go to the boss and talk about this because it's good to have a witness in the workplace when things like this happen. Men can play a really powerful role and I know there's an awful lot of good men out there who want to do that. You have a son and a daughter Tracy, Do do you talk to them about what's going on? I mean how much do you, you know when you get home I know it's the last thing I want to do is talk about all my work, you want to sort of find out what the kids are doing but it's important, isn't it, with you being such a high-profile person in this, for them to know your feelings and your thoughts and give them a bit of understanding and education? Oh, Gus, for my sins, every night we debate <laughs> gender politics in the lounge room. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and that's because, look, it's, it's very exciting in my household. It's just a, just a riot. Um, no, my husband... <laughs> Can't um, wait to come, in, and, uh, come over for dinner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dinner party's just <laughs> awesome. <laughs> my... Um, My husband's a cameraman and I'm a journalist, so we're always talking about issues and the news. The kids have always been interested in politics and now they're interested in gender because it's something that that, uh, I write and talk a lot about. Now, my husband's a really interesting one. You meet him and he's the blokiest bloke you could ever meet, Mm. right? Loves his footy, loves his beer, loves his mates, but he's got this really strong uh, vocal streak about being passionate about equality, which is fantastic. So he talks to our son about it in a language that is actually better than me talking to my son about it. I talk a lot to our daughter about it. And my husband actually picked up things like a gender pay gap in our household when it came into pocket money that I hadn't even picked up. So that's why I know that male allies are really important what, what because there? we have this in the household. <laughs> My kids, well, they're just straight up 10 bucks a week and that's just the way it is. What, how did you have a little discrepancy? 
Oh, it's so interesting. <laughs> we um, just put this hastily drawn list on the fridge about, you know, this job is worth this amount and this job's oh, worth that right. amount. Yeah. Right? And the physical jobs were weighted yeah. more heavily uh-huh. than the lighter jobs. And my son wanted to be like my husband, you know, that whole role modelling thing. So he wanted to take the bins out like his dad. So he was earning more money doing that than our daughter was doing packing the dishwasher. And I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> oh, Tracy, if you can't get it right, yeah, like, what, 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 what We've got no chance at all if you can't get it right, Trace. I know, I'm a complete failed member, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> but actually, I'd like to just to pick up on a, I think you made a really important point then when you're talking about your husband and, and describing him as this blokey bloke and then you sort of said, but respects equality, et cetera. And I think you know, this whole podcast series is about what does it mean to be a man? And I, I suppose you know, there's a really important point there that you can be a blokey Aussie bloke. That doesn't mean putting women down. It doesn't have to mean disrespecting women. I was going to say that's exactly right because um, uh, a lot of his friends, you know, when he started talking openly about stuff like that, were like, oh, you know, what's going on? You're being bloody pussy whipped and all of this kind of language. Mm. And he's like, no, I just think it's important. It's good for everybody. And he actually became more vocal about it after... After we had our daughter, and that's a very, very common thing. Well, that's, that's a very good point. I, with my two daughters, it changed my life completely. However, Trace, I'd love to get your opinion on this. The fact that I let my son go out with this girl and she stays the night, but the thought of anyone staying the night when my daughter starts dating horrifies me. And she's already worked this out and she's already said the whole thing is completely rigged against her. Um, <laughs> what, what just completely, this is just a personal note, how, how do you reckon I should work that? Can I, can I have two different sets of um, rules, one for my son and one for my daughter? Gus, I've got some bad news oh, for no. you. No, okay. you can't. Turn it down. I don't want to hear the answer. I want to hear the answer. <laughs> Look, my husband's the same. You know, he loves joking about how he's going to get on the porch with a shotgun whenever that's anyone it, that's comes. That's my joke. He's, he's still on my joke. <laughs> exactly, with the banjo and the whole thing. Yeah. But the, the important thing to remember with this sexual harassment discussion, just on a serious note, is it's really important for women to have um, control of their own sexual agency and also to have control over consent. So we've really got to say to our daughters, yes, if you choose to have sex with this lovely young man, you know, that's a great thing, but, oh, you know, say no, no if someone tries crazy. to put their hands on you. I'm sorry, Gus, I know it's an awkward <laughs> conversation to have. <laughs> uh, look, I, I have a daughter too and Gus and I disagree on this. I'm much yeah. more about equality. And, uh, I'm trying uh, to come round to yeah, Tracy's and your thoughts. Yeah, I'm working on him. Yeah. But actually, just again, Tracy, to pick up on something that... Um, that you said about your husband changing when you had your daughter and Gus said the same thing. I, I have a daughter as well. And I remember when one of these stories came up you know, a few months ago thinking, you know, yes, how could anyone that had a daughter, how could they behave like that? But then I actually read an interesting comment that us, for men, we shouldn't just do it because we have a daughter or a wife. We should just do it because it's right or wrong. Yeah. And I think that's really important because there are lots of men out there who don't have daughters, but that shouldn't be an excuse to not understand. Look, it is really important, and I agree that people should come on board with this movement of their own volition, but equally, you know, I'm a journalist, I'm a storyteller. I understand how people's opinions can be influenced by the storytelling and the experiences of those around them. So I think there's validity in whatever way people come to this cause. You know, I'm a little bit of a pragmatist, whatever it takes. Mm. Now, Tracy, um, we're from here in terms of, of we're trying to build, if you like, or give advice and give opinions on on being a man. And I, I, I've changed my opinion with my son a few times. I've 
spoken to quite a few people through the Man Up series, and I realise now that actually these young kids are actually pretty clever, and they can work a lot of stuff out for themselves. And for me to sort of throw my DNA and my traditions at my son is probably not the right thing. Um, I give him as much sort of um, rope, if you like, for him to be able to go off and do his own things. I'm there to sort of protect him. Are you similar with your kids um, or are you a bit more sort of pragmatic in this is the way things should be done? Oh, with regards to their attitudes or what they go yeah. out and do? Just just to be, you know, I'm so proud of my son, Jack. I'm just so proud of the young man that he is. And I, I think that's because I've let him... I, I haven't sort of thrown down his throat my, my traditions and my DNA and what my father put on to me. I've tried to put just some positive spin, but let him run his own sort of show. And kids these days want to have that. Would you agree with that sort of way of, 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 of building a young man in this society? Yeah, I agree entirely. In fact, I learn a lot from kids coming through that next generation. They're actually so wise. They've got such a, an incredible global view and I think I learn more from them than they learn from me. We yeah, just want We just want the kids to do whatever makes them happy. In fact, it's interesting having talked about gender stuff with both kids. I was driving along the other day and we were listening to Talkback Radio and, you know, someone was saying something um, on commercial Talkback Radio on the AM band and uh, my Sorry, son, I don't, I don't uh, know. What you, is, is there an AM band? I didn't realise. That's that. right. I, I just yeah. didn't want to disparage FM while I was talking <laughs> to you guys. That's all right. <laughs> and, and, uh, and my son piped up and said, do you know what, Mum? That's really sexist. And I had to get him to explain to me what he meant because I was so accustomed to hearing this kind of stuff around me. So that's why I think it's really good to give them the freedom in a way to form their own opinions mm. because I think they're, they're working it out really well themselves. Yeah, I agree. Tracy, thank you so much. We could talk to you for hours and in particular we've been waiting for you to come out, come out with this list because it's, it's, it's the one thing that's been sort of very topical but we understand now how difficult it is to make sure that you get it right. But congratulations on doing what you're doing. Thank you for spending a little bit of time with us on the Be A Man podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm a huge fan of both of you and your work, so I cannot thank you enough for doing this. We need some wonderful male role models out there saying this is what good men can do, so thank you. Well, we always like to wrap up the podcast with some Dr. Happy tips. So uh, what can men learn about how to behave around women in this Me Too era, Doc? Yeah, look, that was, uh, that was super fascinating, really important conversation. And I think Tracy shared with us lots of pearls of wisdom and um, you know, some really important tips. But I, I guess the most important thing I took from it was that um, as men, one, what we can do is to, to talk to the women in our lives, talk to our, talk to our wives, talk to our girlfriends, talk to our daughters and mothers and colleagues, and just as importantly, listen to them, ask them, you know, what do they need? What can we do? Uh, because they know. And if we, if we can learn from that and understand that, you know, that there's probably things we can all do better uh, and then put that into practice, I suppose. Um, hopefully, uh, it'll be a win for everyone involved. The thing I picked up from Tracy is that you can get it wrong, but as long as you learn from it, and people tell you that right from the start, it's okay to make errors. In fact, some of the most successful people in the world have failed and failed and failed, but they still keep going. So some blokes out there, no doubt, I, was, I speak to all the time, and I'm sure you do in your teaching and your learnings, are confused at the moment. Where's the line? Where can you have a bit of banter, a little bit of fun? Well, from tra what Tracy tells us, you know, it's as soon as someone feels uncomfortable and you've got to sense that. And if you don't and you do the wrong thing, 
then you've got to be able to apologise and learn from it. Is that something that you picked up as well? Uh, definitely. I think, again, a really important point. We, you know, we all make mistakes. We make mistakes in all areas of our life, and, and you know, including this area. And uh, you know, that, that's kind of okay, as long as we don't repeat the same mistake over and over again. And as you said, what's important is to, is to, to ask those women in our life, if you see someone that looks a bit uncomfortable or you sense that maybe you've crossed that line, ask them, you know, was that okay? And if, if not, uh, then try not to repeat that mistake. Try, try not to repeat that same mistake try to make whatever correct corrections or adjustments uh, you need so that you can do it a bit better next time. If this episode caused any concerns, please contact lifeline.org.au or give them a call, 13 11 14. The Be A Man podcast series is presented by me, Gus Warland, and my great mate, Dr Tim Sharp, produced by the beautiful Liv Proud, and executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Be A Man is recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. For more episodes of Be A Man, head to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or look us up on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review us.